Talk Radio's red-headed stepchild. Solace Radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before. I'm Steve Wiggins, and this is the Groundworks Ministries podcast. Today we're reading the final chapter of the New Testament, which is the final chapter of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, chapter 22. And as I mentioned two weeks ago, when we studied the trumpet judgments of Revelation 8, there are six Jewish festivals which God commands his people to observe every year throughout their generations. And that list of festivals are found in Leviticus 23. You should look it up later. The annual festivals are Passover, First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, which is the Festival of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So all six of these festivals collectively form a messianic timeline with respect to the saving work and the sustaining work, and then the ultimate work of the Messiah. So the first three have actually been fulfilled already. And they actually were fulfilled on the exact days of their respective festivals. And they are Passover, which is the sacrifice for sin. And Jesus was crucified on Passover. The Apostle Paul says that he is our Passover sacrifice. Um, first fruits was three days after the Passover. It's when they offer the first fruits of the barley harvest. And uh, Jesus resurrected on the day of the festival of first fruits. Once again, Paul tells us in the New Testament that Jesus is the first fruit of all who would be raised from the dead. And then the third festival, Pentecost, known in Hebrew as Shavuot, which means weeks. It's called the festival of weeks. And uh, it's seven weeks after the Passover. And... Um, Seven times seven, because there's seven days in a week, is 49. And then the next day they have a Passover on the 50th day. When they go to translate the word Pentecost, uh, the word weeks, or the concept of seven weeks in the next day, uh, in Greek, they chose the word Pentecost, which is when the giving of the Holy Spirit came. Now, the festival of weeks, which we know as Pentecost in the New Testament, the Festival of Weeks commemorates the giving of the law uh, when every man stood at the base of Mount Sinai and the Holy Spirit spoke the law into their hearts and they rejected it. And they said, we don't want him speaking to us like this. Moses, you go speak with him and then have him come. You come then and tell us what he told you. And so on the day which commemorates the giving of the law, but the rejecting of the Spirit's revelation is exactly the day after Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave, the same day God chose to give his Holy Spirit. And uh, and to those who received the testimony of the Holy Spirit, there were 3,000 saved and baptized in that day. That's the first three Jewish festivals every year, annual festivals. But what about the final three? Well, they have yet to be fulfilled. And the final three festivals, interestingly enough, have been covered in order over the past three weeks in our meetings together. Revelation chapter 8 correlated with the Feast of Trumpets, right? The last trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ will rise together. We'll meet him together in the air. And then Revelation 15, you have Yom Kippur where books are opened and, and the dead are judged. And then today we have Revelation 22. <clears throat> and that focuses on Sukkot which is the Festival of Booths. 
And what does that commemorate? It commemorates God dwelling among His people for forty years in the desert,、um, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It is an eternal continuation of the narrative which actually began in Revelation twenty-one. And because all of twenty-two is has to be ramped up from twenty-one, let's just read chapter twenty-one now as、uh, as a precursor to twenty-two. So Revelation twenty-one, verse one begins in this way. He says, "And now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea." Consider Acts chapter three. Verses nineteen through twenty-one says this: Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. What are we learning here? We're learning that there is a coming day when all things will be restored, and in Revelation 21 we get to see and hear what that restoration will be like. He says, "The first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there is no more sea." What does that mean? Well, heaven had been defiled, as it were, by both fallen angels and then discussions concerning sin. So then, a new heaven was in order, no longer separated from creation, and since all things sinful and deserving of judgment were no longer present in the new heaven and the new earth, there was no longer the need for the sea. Now, what he means that he doesn't mean there doesn't need to be water. The sea is a biblical representation and a symbol of God's judgment. You saw a lake of fire. The Bible says it was like a a sea of glass mingled with fire, and 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 sin, and and those who were not believers were thrown into this lake of fire or this sea of fire. Well, that will not be there anymore. Let's continue reading in Revelation twenty-one verse two. He says this. He says, and then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for a husband, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, "Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them, and He will be their God." So now we see that for all eternity, we will see the feast of tabernacles. God will dwell with men. He says there in verse. Three of Revelation twenty-one: the tabernacle of God is with men, and God Himself will dwell with them. Let's look at Zechariah chapter fourteen, verse sixteen. And it shall come to pass. This is from the Hebrew prophets of the Old Testament. And it shall come to pass that every one who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, and to keep the feast. Of tabernacles, you may believe that it's wrong, and some people do. I heard a preacher preach on it one time. He was wrong, by the way. But you may think that it's wrong for Gentile Christians to celebrate Jewish festivals. But guys, all believers will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for all eternity. And now that there is 
no sin barrier between God and his people, then he will dwell freely among them. And this will not be like when he dwelt with them during the days of the Egyptian exodus. There he appeared as a thick cloud and his presence fell as a fire. After the exodus, each man, as I had mentioned earlier, had heard God's voice in his own heart. But God did not appear to each man face to face. So heaven will be more along the lines of the Garden of Eden, where God walked in the garden and he spoke personally with Adam. Genesis 3, verses 8 through 11. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, the Lord, among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And so he said, well, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Let's continue reading here in Revelation 21, verse 4. He says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, and the former things have passed away. Isn't that beautiful that he will wipe away every tear? Consider Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19, because God's been trying to tell us this from the very beginning. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah speaking prophetically of this day, which we're reading about in scripture. He says, and former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Isaiah 65 verses 17 through 19. Let's keep reading now in Revelation 21 verse 5. It says, uh, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Think about that. He's giving the fountain of the water of life. Check out John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, speaking to the woman at the well who was a Samaritan, He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Or what about Psalm 36, verse 9? For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Or how about Proverbs 14, verse 27? The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Proverbs 14, verse 27. Let's continue reading here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. Verse 7 begins this way. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and it will, uh, and it will be his God, and he shall be my son. John chapter 1, verse 12. Like, how do I become the son of 
of God. How do you become a daughter of God if you're a woman? Well, look at what John 1.12 says. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his, in his name. Or how about Ruth chapter 1? You say, well, that's okay for Jewish people, but what if you're a Gentile? Well, she was from Moab. Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, Ruth made this statement of faith. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. It's interesting. How do we become sons and daughters of God? How do we become the people of God? When we turn to the Lord and we surrender to his lordship. And when we give our lives freely and say, God, come in and take control. You are the Lord and we are your servants. And and the Bible will hear that. When you confess your sin, the Bible says that you shall be saved. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're a boy or a girl. Anyone can be saved, but nobody will be saved until they surrender to Jesus. Revelation 21 Verse 8 continues in this way. He says, But the coward, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, uh, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, the lake of fire. Remember that from Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's not just a New Testament idea. Look at what Isaiah says in chapter 66, uh, verses 22 through 24. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come and worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Or what about in the New Testament, Luke chapter 3, verse 9. And even now, that was an alarm. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Wouldn't you like to be considered good fruit by the Lord? Wouldn't you want to be considered to be one of his children? Well, then surrender to the Lord, because as sure as the promise of salvation to all who surrender to Jesus is the promise of damnation for all who refuse. Revelation 21 verse Nine, And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, remember the bowl judgment, filled with the seven last plagues came to me and he talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. What? The bride of Christ? John chapter three, verse 29 puts it this way. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. This is John the Baptist speaking of Jesus. Or what about Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9? 
It goes on to say this, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen and the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who were called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Let's continue reading here. Revelation 21, verse 10. He says, And he carried, that is this angel who had previously had one of these seven bowls from which judgment came out. He says, And he carried me away in the Spirit, to a great and a high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of the heaven, uh, out of heaven from God. There is a high mountain. There is a great city which will descend. Consider this from Matthew chapter four, verses eight through ten. Again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain hmm, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And then he said to Jesus, all things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Interesting. Let's keep reading in Revelation chapter 21, verse 11. And we'll read for a little bit here. He says, Uh, Verse 10 begins this way. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and a high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 13, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates to the south, and three gates on the west. And now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city was laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed. 12,000 furlongs, its length and breadth and height are equal. And then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with the kind of precious stones uh, with with all kinds of precious stones. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, and the third chalcedony, and the fourth was emerald, the fifth was sardonyx, and the sixth sardius, and the seventh was chrysolite, and the eighth was beryl, and the ninth was topaz, and the tenth was chrysophase, and the eleventh was jacinth, and the twelfth was amethyst. What do we see here? Well, We see the foundations and we see precious stones. And when we think of foundations and precious stones, consider what Isaiah the prophet said 
In Isaiah 54, verses 11 through 14, he said, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones and all your children shall be taught by the Lord and the great shall be the peace of your children. Great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness, you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near you. What is Isaiah seeing in Isaiah 54 verses 11 through 14? Well, it's very simple. He's seeing exactly what John the apostle is seeing. He's looking into the future and he sees exactly the same thing. Revelation 21, verse 20, speaks of the 12 jewels. Now, these resemble the precious stones in the breastplate of a high priest. And on each shoulder of the high priest's garment were black onyx stones, and they represented the sin of Israel, and the names of each Israelite tribe were engraved on them. Now, why would this be? That he would have all of these black onyx stones in black that were engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel. Well, it was because it was the high priest's responsibility to literally shoulder the burden, to bear the sin of the people as he went before the Lord. But on his breastplate, the breastplate of the high priest were 12 precious stones, not 12 black onyx stones, which represented the sin of the people, but on his breastplate, there were 12 precious stones. And they represented that although people sin, they are precious in the sight of the Lord when they come before him humbly and ask that they be forgiven and that their sins be atoned for. And and therefore, not only that, but those precious stones are a reminder to the high priest himself that, hey, sometimes you might not like the people in your congregation, and they are, by the way, as we all are, a, 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 a stubborn and a stiff-necked people, as the Bible calls. But even the, even the pastor of a church has to realize that although he has to deal with the sin of his people, he also knows that not only are they precious to the sight of the Lord, but they should also be precious to him as well. We continue reading in Revelation 21, verse 21. Revelation 21, verse 21 says this, And the twelve gates, there were twelve pearls, and each individual gate, there was was one pearl itself. That's a big pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no temple in the New Jerusalem. There's no temple in heaven. Why is that? Because there's there's no need to visit a building at certain times in order to meet with God or to hear a sermon at a certain day from a person who's seeking God's work word more than you are. Because that's kind of what happens at church, right? It's a certain day and you figure, well, the pastor's seeking the Lord more than we are. He's probably smarter than us, at least with comes to religious things. And so let's go hear what he has to say about the Lord. Well, there's no need for that. There's no need to go into a building and get out of the world and into the house of the Lord. The whole world is the Lord's house and God will always be available. Not just on certain times, 
And nothing will be hidden in order to necessitate this disclosure or an explanation from another man or woman. By the way, that knowledge and that intimate abiding with the Lord, that is available to you already, right? At least in the form of a down payment, right? The Lord is already abiding with you and living in you. 1 John 2.27 says this, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. What does it mean? He sticks around. And you do not need anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. You say, well, how does the Holy Spirit teach me if he's living inside of me? How does he teach me? He teaches you as you read the Bible. He doesn't say, hey, you don't have to read the Bible. I'll just give you a download, right? Like some kind of computer app. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. He activates when you get into action and you start reading the Bible. He starts teaching you. You don't read the Bible. He's not teaching you. He's only telling you one thing if you're not reading the Bible. And that one thing is get into the word because I want to have an ongoing relationship with you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You see, the Holy Spirit is not only your teacher But the fact that he's in you and he abides in you and he will always be with you, that makes him a down payment of a purchased possession. It's not a possession which we purchase. We are the possession which has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And when we surrender to that and we receive his atonement, his sacrifice, well, then now we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you might feel like, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Well, the Bible says, number one, for it is written that we may know that we have eternal life. The Apostle Paul said this, for I am convinced that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. Let's continue to read Revelation 21, verse 23. He continues in this way, speaking of the heaven which John saw. In verse 23, he says, And the city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Consider that when we think about Isaiah 60, 60, verse 19. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your uh, and your God and glory. You know, when we go back to the story of the creation and won't we be there a week from now? Genesis chapter one. Are you looking forward to it? It's going to be awesome. Well, at the very beginning, you notice that God announces his presence. Let there be light. And then all of a sudden there's light. And a lot of times people skip over the fact that the sun wasn't even created for two more days. So we see that kind of light in creation, right? God is the light before there's ever even the sun. And in the kingdom to come, he will be the light. There won't be a moon. There won't be a sun. He will always be and he will be with us. Aren't you looking forward to that? Revelation 21 verse 24 says this. 
He says, and the nations of those who were saved shall walk uh, in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and their honor into it. The nations of those who are saved. Doesn't mean that all person who's ever lived, so some people that don't believe in hell, they believe that, ah, and in the end we'll all see it and we're like, okay, now we surrender to you. No, the Bible says it is appointed once for a man to die and then unto judgment. But for those who are from the nations, who are Gentiles, they're not Jews. Those who are from the nations who heard the gospel and they surrendered to it, those who are saved, that's who he's talking about. By the way, not every Jewish person will be there either but only those who surrender to the Messiah, Jesus. Look at Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 8, in terms of the nations of those who are saved. Look at what Isaiah says. He says, Also the sons of the foreigner who joined themselves to the Lord, to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others beside those who are gathered to him. Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 8. That's exactly what we're talking about. Interestingly enough, these people will come into Jerusalem, which leads us to believe that because it's not just a new heaven and a new earth, uh, it's not just a new heaven and a new Jerusalem, it's a new heaven and a new earth, which tells us that people will be living on the earth and then they will come in and out of Jerusalem to worship the Lord. He says in Revelation 21, verse uh, 27, he says, There shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who were written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, let's consider the Lamb's book of life for a moment because we saw just a few days ago in Revelation 13, verse 8, he said, All who dwell on the earth will worship him. What does that mean? We'll worship the beast. Uh, uh, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Consider what Timothy said. uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. He says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. What is he saying here, Paul? Well, the one who was chosen from the foundation of the earth is not us. The one who was chosen was Jesus. It's not that our names were written in a book from the foundation of the world. 
It's that the book was set aside from the foundation. It is the book of the Lamb. It is the Lamb who was set aside from the foundation. And whenever you surrender to Him, your name is written into that book. You say, "Well, I'm not a believer, and my name's not written in that book." And I say, "Not yet. Not yet." You still have a choice to turn from your sin and surrender to Him and to be saved, and that's exactly what has been revealed to us through the gospel. Now, here we are in today's chapter, Revelation twenty-one, verse one. You might say, "Well, it's about time," and you know what? It's actually about eternity. <laughs> Revelation twenty-one, verse. One begins like this, and he showed me a pure river of water. You see, it's a continuation of that narrative in twenty-one. Clear,、uh, it's the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb.、Uh, now we remember that conversation between Jesus and、uh, and the Samaritan woman. He says, "Hey, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water, and I would give you living." Water, because that water will flow not only from the throne but from the Lamb, the river of water of life, and this is in contrast to the sea of judgment, which we've already seen, the water of judgment. Zechariah chapter fourteen verse eight says this: "And in that day shall be that the living waters shall flow from Jerusalem." Now we're seeing the origin of it. It's coming from the throne. It's coming from the Lamb. It's coming from from Jerusalem, from the throne of the Lord. And 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 Zechariah saw it coming. He says, "And in that day there shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, and half of them toward the western sea. And both summer and in winter it shall occur." So the prophets saw this coming. But what about Joel chapter three verse eighteen? And all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. You know what that is? That is the Dead Sea region. Nothing is living in the Dead Sea today. It's so full of minerals that it's basically poison for any fish. But look at what the Lord showed Ezekiel in Ezekiel forty-seven verses one and two. And then He brought me back to the door of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced the east, and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He's seeing the same thing that all of these prophets are seeing. Surely it is true. Verse two, he says, and he brought me out by way of the northern gate, and he led me around to the outside of the outer gateway that faces the east, and there was water. Running out on the right side, Ezekiel forty-seven verses one through two. Let's continue reading in Revelation twenty-two verse two. Isn't this fascinating? Absolutely fascinating. He says in verse two, in the middle of the street and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, on either side of the river. You know everything that we saw in the Garden of Eden is now being put back into its proper place through Jesus, and it's all happening according to God's plan. He's been talking about it for millennia, century after century. He's been talking about this plan, and we're getting to see it. 
The tree of life on both sides of the river indicates that both Jews and Gentiles equally benefit in the coming kingdom. You know, the Jordan River acts as the border between Israel, even today, and the Arab nations. And whenever a person is in the Bible is in Israel, whenever they have sinned against the Lord, well, then they're then they're made to leave Israel and go out into the, the kingdoms beyond the Jordan. And what he's saying is this. Hey, no sinners will be on the earth. Only people who are saved from both the Gentile nations and also from Israel. And that means that the tree of life is accept, uh, is accessible on either side of the river. Jews and Gentiles equally benefiting in the coming kingdom. Life is not restricted, for instance, to being bunched up in Jerusalem. The whole world is made anew, as I've already mentioned. And even the Dead Sea comes alive, and people will fish there. People will come in and out of Jerusalem. And this was prophesied in Ezekiel 47, verses 6 through 12. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me back, and he returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the river had many trees, and on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. This is the water which he saw coming from the temple. He says, and it goes down into the valley, and it enters the sea, meaning the Dead Sea. He says, and when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. Why? Because it is the water of life. He says there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. And it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to in Eglaim and they will be places for spreading of nets and their fish will be of the same kinds of fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and its marshes will not be healed, and they will be given over to salt along the bank of the river. On this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food, and their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. Are we not reading about that today in the Revelation? Ezekiel saw it thousands of years prior. He says they will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Ezekiel 47 verses 6 through 12. Amazing how the word of the Lord is proved true down to the letter. Revelation 22 verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. Don't you love that? No more curse. Only blessing. Revelation, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 7 and 8 say this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Or what about Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, speaking of people as trees. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, that is the delight of a person who is blessed, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That's why we're reading the Bible together every day with Groundworks Ministries. Our delight is in the law of the Lord and we meditate on it. Think about it day and night. He says in verse 3 of Psalm chapter 1, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3. Let's continue reading Revelation 22 verse 4. Verse 4 says this, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. His name shall be on their foreheads. We'll start with this. We'll see his face. As Adam and Eve dwelt with God in the garden before sin entered the world, not even Moses or Elijah were allowed to see the face of the Lord. We will get to see it. And the Bible says that his name will be on our foreheads. You see, the hand and the forehead, uh, these are images which communicate the forehead, what you think, the hand, what you do. And so the name of the Lord being on our forehead, what does it mean? It means that all that we think about is the Lord and his greatness. And therefore, when a mark is on your hand or your forehead, let's say the mark of the beast, well, the things that people who are not of the Lord, the things that they think are evidenced by the things that they do. So that's why the mark is on the forehead and the hand. And the same with the people of God. The things that we think and we meditate on Scripture day and night, and that is evidenced, what's happening in here is evidenced by what it is that we do with our hands. Revelation 22 verse 5 says, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light for the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Verse 6, he says, And then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants these things, which must shortly take place. Shortly take place. You know, God is beyond time. So sometimes in the Bible, you know, these things will shortly take place. And you go, well, why haven't they happened yet? Right? It's been 2,000 years or more since Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave. Why hasn't he come back? Well, what is short for us and what is long for us is not on the same time scale as the Lord. God is beyond time. So a heavenly being is telling an earthly being that these things will shortly take place. But believe me, there's two things that confound a fool. Number one, how slow God is to act. And number two, how quickly he shows up. Revelation 22, verse 7, continues in this way. He says, Behold, this is the Lord speaking, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this book. Blessed is the who keeps it. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Now consider the Apostle Peter's second letter, Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 9. He says this, The Lord is not slack. What does that mean? It means he's not slow. Concerning his promise is some count slowness, but he's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
What is the Lord's will? The Lord's will is that everybody would turn from their sin and that they would surrender to him. That's what he wants. That's why he died on the cross to pay the penalty for everyone. But then now you have a choice. And you're either going to receive the Holy Spirit's testimony or you're going to try to push it away. God is only slow by our time schedule. Revelation 22, verse 8. He says, And now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and I saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Probably not the best idea. Verse 9, And then the angel said to me, See that you don't do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Commandment number one, there's only one God. Worship Him alone. Look at what it says here in verse 10. He says, And He said to me, Do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. What does that mean? The time is at hand. It means this is the time. It's not the time to be sealing up prophecy. Right? In the past, they would tell people, seal this up. It's not for the time at hand, right? People are going to try to apply this to the world right now. And they're like, this isn't for the world right now. This is coming later. So seal this up. And what is this angel telling John? Hey, bro, this is the time to unseal this prophecy. Let's consider a few times when things were sealed. Daniel chapter two, verses nine and 10. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. But many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. You know, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 31, that the end times restoration was spoken by God through all of the prophets from the very beginning. And yet, Not all of that prophecy has been disclosed to us, for it was sealed until the time that God deemed it appropriate. And we need no more new revelation, by the way, for it has all been revealed. The Bible is complete. Genesis, all the way through the eternity future. Revelation 22, verse 11. What is the whole point? Right now is not the time for you. To say, you know what, maybe I'll share the gospel with that person later. No, today is the day of salvation is what the Bible says. And listen, the right time to do the right thing is always right now. You say, hey man, I don't know, should I share the gospel with my coworker? Uh, God would never say, nah. He would say, of course you should. You haven't already? (laughs) Revelation 22 uh, verse 11 says this, and behold, I am coming quickly. This is Jesus speaking. All right, once again, God's timetable is not our timetable. He says, behold, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11, he says, he who is unjust, let him, uh, let him be unjust still. And he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. What in the world is he talking about? Doesn't God want everyone to come to the Lord? We just read that, did we not? Well, consider this in John 12, verses 37 through 41. But although he had done so, 
many signs, uh, had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled in which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What arm of the Lord are they talking about? Well, the same arm of the Lord can save and the same arm of the Lord can judge. And you have a choice as to when that arm reaches out, is he reaching out to judge you or is he reaching out to save you? He says, who's believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The power of God to both save and the power of God to judge. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and he spoke of him. John 12 verses 37 through 41. You see, the signs of the trumpet and the bowl judgments were the miraculous efforts of the Holy Spirit to convincingly display the truth of God's word. I said I was going to judge. Now watch this. Watch me judging in miraculous ways. He was convincingly displaying the truth that I will judge. And it was all in hope that men would repent and believe God's word and that they would also that he would also save all who would turn to him through the Messiah. But if those people reject the Holy Spirit's testimony of the Messiah's grace and his mercy and his sacrifice for them, well, then there is no other salvation for them to choose from. God becomes to them as a blinder and as a hardener of the hearts, although it is the furthest thing in the heart of God. God doesn't want people to be blind. God doesn't want people to be hardened in their sin. But if they choose to refuse the gospel, well, then let them go on being that way. What's he saying? I'm not going to come in and change their hearts. There's some people who believe that when the Holy Spirit comes and the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit speaks, that the grace of God is irresistible. And what God is saying is exactly the opposite. I'm showing my grace to the world and so many of them are resisting it. And if they're going to resist it, we'll let them go on. If they're going to receive it, let them come on. But I'm not going to force myself upon people. You have to surrender to the Lord. And when he convincingly shows you himself, some people say, well, the spirit of God is irresistible. And I say the Bible says that it's the most resisted thing in the universe after evidence, after evidence. And yet people still turn from the gospel. Don't harden your hearts, soften your heart, because that's exactly what he wants to do. And if they want to harden their heart toward him, okay, well, then I'll let your heart be hardened. And whenever I show up, you won't look at me and you won't see me as the savior. Every time I show up, it's as if I'm making your heart even harder, but it's not me. It's your choice to resist the gospel. Why would you resist it? Revelation 22 Verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm giving to everyone according to his work. You know, the Apostle John, same guy who penned the revelation, abruptly turns back to his original audience. Remember the seven churches of Macedonia and he reminds them 
that they must urgently address the issues that God brought to their attention in Revelation 2 and 3. So John is not speaking to unbelievers as if by their works they will be rewarded with eternal glory. We're not saved by by works. We're saved by the grace of God. When we turn from our sin and we receive the gospel, he does all the saving work. All we have to do is surrender, which is, which is, by the way, by definition, the complete absence of work. And so now he's urging church leaders and believers to realign with the word of the Lord. Did you know that only 11% of Americans have ever read the Bible cover to cover? Believe me, the church in America and Christians need to realign with the word of the Lord because the things which are passing for theology in the eyes of the Lord are heresy in so many churches. Revelation 22 verse 13 says this. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Or as my dad used to say, I brought you into this world, I can take you right back out. <laughs> the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. We know this from John chapter 1, that it was Jesus who created this world. The Messiah himself, known as the Word of God in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And then in John 1.14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking of Jesus. He says, I am the first, and I am the last. I turn the light on, and I'll turn it off before I shut the door on this world. Beside me, there is no God. Now you see that even he is de- is claiming his own deity. I am God. And God exists as Father, Messiah, and Holy Spirit. Revelation 22 verse 14 says this, Blessed are those who do his commands. Let that soak in. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Remember Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. Verse 14, he says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates of the city. The original text doesn't say who do his commandments. The original text actually reads, Blessed are those who wash their robes. And maybe your Bible translation says it that way. uh, These are those who obeyed the Lord even unto death. Remember Revelation 7, verse 13 and 14, where it said, And then one of the elders answered and said, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to them, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, verses 13 and 14. So more accurately, that says, blessed are those who wash their robes, speaking of the martyrs, that they may have the right to the tree of life, 
These are people who died for Jesus, and yet now, because they were willing to die for the Lord, now they have the right to the tree of life. They will live forever. Never be a martyr again. I guarantee every martyr who ever lived, who was a martyr for Christ, is in heaven right now saying, it was worth it, and I would do it again. Revelation 22, verse 15, says this, But outside are dogs, and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. So now we have this very interesting. Inside we have the righteous. Outside, you know, I I read this the first time and I thought, hold on, I thought all dogs go to heaven. Isn't there a cartoon? (laughs) When he says dogs, he's not talking about dogs. The word for dog in Hebrew and the word for Gentile are synonymous, okay? And so that's what he's speaking about. And not just people with Gentile blood, because we know that there are people who were born Gentiles, who were were previously foreigners. They came from idolatrous pagan countries, but now they've turned to the Lord. Well, they're on the inside. Well, what about... So he's not saying it as a prejudice against Gentiles. He's, He's talking about people from even the nations who have not abandoned their pagan ways. And then there's ones who did abandon their pagan ways and you see them on the inside. Deuteronomy 23 verse 18 puts it this way. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog, a Gentile, to the house of the Lord. What is he saying? Well, they used to, pagans would worship through ritual harlotry, literally through temple prostitutes. They would take uh, what uh, Gentiles would use to, to bring as an offering to their pagan gods. What's he saying? Don't bring in, don't do worshiping the Lord the way they worship the Lord. If you're a Gentile and you're coming to the Lord, okay, don't worship like that. If you're a Jew and you've been hanging out with Gentiles, don't take their practices of worshiping their pagan gods and try to institute that in my church. He says, you shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord for any vowed offering for both of these are an abomination to the Lord, your God. Deuteronomy 23, verse 18. Let's roll on here to verse 16 of Revelation 22. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Right? Remember, it was all started off with these letters to the churches. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The root and the offspring of David. Consider Matthew 22, verses 41 through 45. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said, he's the son of David. And he said to them, well, then how does David in the spirit, right? It's not David speaking. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through David. How does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then he starts to use some logic with them. He says, well, then if David calls him the Lord, and it's really the Spirit of God speaking through David, well, then how is the Messiah uh, the son of David? And now we see that the Messiah is not simply the son of David. He's also the root. He's not the offspring of David. He's also the root, the beginner, the originator. He is the one who both created and sustained David. 
because he is the author and the perfecter. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He calls him the bright morning star. We see this in 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 7. Now, these are the last words of David. Obviously, David didn't write them down, right? Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. It wasn't me speaking these psalms. It was the Spirit of God speaking through me. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just. So he's like, Messiah is speaking to me. But he's not just my Messiah and the judge, but he is also the rock of Israel, but he is also going to be in my downline someday when he will come into the womb of a woman and be born as a man. This is what the Messiah said to David. He says, he who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning, right? When the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after the rain. Although my house is not so with God, and yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. So he, David, is describing Jesus. Uh, and now Jesus is turning around and saying, I am the offspring of David. I'm not just his Lord. I am the offspring of David. I am that bright and that morning star, that clear shining after the rain. I'm all those things that David said that I am. That's who I am. And, and I love the fact that the Lord's like, and don't seal this up. Let everybody in this generation that we live in, let, let us all know this for certain. Revelation 22, verse 17, he says, And the Spirit of the Lord and the Bride say, Come. The Holy Spirit, and this is how evangelism happens today, right? Evangelism happens just like this. We, the Bride, those of us who have been saved, the Bride of Christ, we plead with people to come to the Lord. And when we plead with them, and we're sharing the gospel, the true gospel, the Holy Spirit is pleading through us. So both the Spirit and the Bride, that is both believers and the Holy Spirit, are pleading with you. Hey, if you hear us and if you thirst, come. The process of evangelism, the Holy Spirit speaking through the church, the Bride. And then now we see it speaking through believers so that those who thirst may be saved. Consider John chapter 4, verses 9 through 15. Jesus answered and said to the Samaritan woman, we've already mentioned it today, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, right? Because the living water is like a, it's like a river, right? It flows from one place. It goes to another one. Dead water is like well water. It's not moving anywhere. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? She's thinking he's talking of a river. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Man, if she only knew. Who gave us this well and drank from it himself 
as well as all of his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him, inside of him, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, for I test to everyone, testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. There's some people who believe that they are so high and mighty and holy that when they write, their sermons should just be included into the canon of Scripture. And that is 100% not the heart of the Lord. We do not add or take away. When you share the gospel with people, you say, well, I don't want to talk about sin. I only want to talk about the benefits of Christianity. Well, how are there really any benefits of Christianity if you don't understand what you're being saved from, if you don't think your sin is a big deal, and if you don't think it's a big deal to God, if you don't feel like there's going to be a judgment, number one, to not share that is to lie to people because there really is going to be a judgment. We're, we've read about it, have we not? And it's a horrible judgment. And it is the judgment which goes on for eternity. Don't take away from the gospel. Also, don't add to it things that aren't there. Do not be more conservative than the Bible demands. And do not be more liberal than it allows. Deuteronomy 32, verses 44 through 46, Moses finished speaking all these words to Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all of the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children, and be careful to observe all of the words of this law. And and what about... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, which says this, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. You see, when you take away from the word of the Lord, then you're becoming more worldly than God allows. When you add to the word of the Lord rules that God didn't really put in there, now... Now what you're doing is you're becoming more conservative than he demands. Luke chapter 6, verse uh, 46 through 48. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things which I say? You don't seek the word. You're not living according to the word. That means you're either adding or taking away from it because nobody just naturally does the word. He says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you who he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. What rock? The rock of God's word, the rock of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says in John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is that rock that we can stand on. Revelation 22, verse 22, continues in this way. Well, let's read here now from verse 18 all the way through to the end, because there's actually not a 22. 
He says, verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. Chapter 22, verse 20 continues, And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Don't you love this? The grace of Jesus Christ be with you all. I once heard a person take the word grace and break it down in this way, in an acrostic, right? G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His riches, and we've just looked at them. Look at how... How lavish that he wants to show his love to you. His riches at Christ's expense, may they be with all of you. God's grace is the gift of salvation. It's offered to anyone who would surrender to him and receive it. You see, his word will be proven true. His word is true to judge and his word is true to save. And now you've seen, what would you rather have, eternity in heaven and the new earth? Or would you rather have eternity in a lake of fire? But the choice is yours. And I could lead you in a prayer even now. And what a beautiful way to end the New Testament. By beginning your new life in Christ. I can lead you in a prayer where you can talk to God yourself. You can confess your sin. You can acknowledge the holiness of God. You can acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and that he rose from the grave, proving that he's defeated sin and death. And you could surrender control of your life to him as Lord, be filled with his Holy Spirit and then be used by him in this world, not only to grow in joy and in knowledge of the word, but also to rescue the perishing. People that don't even know that they're perishing. And that could all be yours today. It's paid for by Jesus, offered to you. But like any other gift, it's been planned, it's been purchased, it's been packaged. It's presented to you. But it's not yours until you take possession of it. And you can do that now if you pray to him now and you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he has died on the cross for your sins and that he is alive. Let's pray. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I know that you're perfect and holy and I fall short. But I believe that Jesus, God made flesh died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin I believe that he rose from the grave and I believe that he is alive now offering to me salvation forgiveness of all my sin eternity with him in heaven if I would turn from my sin now and receive it so Lord I'm turning from my sin 
I surrender control of my life to you, Lord. Come into my life even now and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And begin to teach me from your word how to live a life of thankfulness and the purpose which you designed for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for saving me. Amen. If you pray that prayer and you meant it, well, welcome to the forever family of God. Praise the Lord, but I'd love to hear from you. And uh, and you can reach out to us easily if you're uh, watching it on YouTube or if you're, you know, uh, in one of our podcast platforms where you can send a comment. Just say, Steve, I just prayed with you to receive the Lord. What do I do now? And uh, or you can go to our website, Groundworks Ministries, Groundworks Ministries dot com. And uh, you can leave a message there and say, hey, I just prayed with you. We'll reach back out to you. The rest of you guys, hey, in the next few days, we're going to go over the Ten Commandments. And then this time next week, we're going to start the the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. So bring a neck brace, right? Because you'll go from the end of the world to the beginning of the world. <laughs> and we don't want anybody to get hurt. I'm Steve Wiggins, and this is the Groundworks Ministries podcast. Check us out at GroundworksMinistries.com. It's a bad world out there. So take solace in the word on Solace Radio.